this morning is uh, continuing our series in Revelation, the letters from Jesus to the seven churches. Uh, as I was walking here this morning, uh, interestingly, I, obviously it's been windy, and what struck me as I was walking across town was how much debris there was that had been blown out of the trees, uh, leaves everywhere, twigs, quite large branches in some cases, just scattered everywhere. And as I was walking, I must have been listening to the song about the Holy Spirit or something, and it's, it's not a difficult picture to draw about the wind being a, a picture of the Holy Spirit, but just really felt that there is a wind that comes mightily that blows out stuff and removes stuff from us. And, and, and it's like a cleansing wind. We don't think of wind in that sense, but a cleansing wind. And just as I was walking, just felt this morning, I mean, this morning's passage leads us to a place of repentance. And just really felt today that um, if the Holy Spirit were to come as a rushing wind to us right now, what would he want to blow away from us? What is there within us that he would want to blow out of us, that he would want to refine us and cleanse us with? And so that's just kind of where we're going to go this morning. We're just going to uh, ask the Holy Spirit to come and do that in just a moment. Um, The letters that were written in Revelation, although they're written a long time ago to specific churches, they're kind of still written to us. They're letters from Jesus to his church. And And in each of the letters contains the following command, not suggestion, but command from Jesus. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. This is in each of the seven letters. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. And so... With that command being upon us, I just want to pray before we go any further today that we would have ears to hear, uh, that he might come and do as he will. And so, just Holy Spirit, I just, I just really ask, would you give us ears to hear? Would you give us ears to hear? Would you give us ears that, that not just hear, but listen to what you're saying to us today? Thank you, you've been with us. All through worship so far, you've been with us, blessing us and speaking to us and helping us to worship. But but now as we open your word, we just pray, Holy Spirit, would you be blowing upon us again? Blowing upon us again, blowing through us again, opening our ears, letting us not just hear, but listen to your words, giving us understanding that we might respond, that we might be transformed, that we might be shaped by you afresh this morning, not leaving the same but leaving transformed and refined and more like Jesus than we came in. And so we just say, Holy Spirit, come and help us and come and have your way. Amen. Okay, so this morning we're going to be uh, looking uh, at the church in Pergamum, uh, which when you read this letter, almost reads as the story of two different churches. And so this passage is going to be a fantastic encouragement and challenge for us as a church, uh, for our small groups, our ministry areas, and for our own lives personally. And so we're going to be in Revelation uh, chapter 2 and verse 12. But before I read it, I I just want to set the scene for you of what we're talking about this morning. 
Now, there are many cities uh, in the ancient world, and although other cities would have been cultural centres and different ones would have been financial centres, Pergamum was a huge religious centre of the time. In the city, you would find a 40-foot statue of the Greek god Zeus. You would find an Acropolis with loads of different idols and gods being worshipped day in and day out. There was a shrine to the pagan god of healing, Asclepium, something like that. Uh, And literally people would travel from all around to come to this shrine to try and receive healing from the priests who ministered there. There was a temple to the ancient Egyptian god Serapium. There were numerous Roman temples set up for emperor worship. This is the setting in which the Pergamon church is called to proclaim and live out the gospel, surrounded by other gods. Okay, this is a huge religious centre of the time. And so if you were to go there, you wouldn't be able to walk down the street without being confronted by different gods all trying to entice you in. Not unlike our culture today. I know it's not quite the same as this, but we live in a culture surrounded by the gods. The gods have just changed names. But we live in a surrounded, surrounded by other gods trying to entice us in, trying to make us worship them. And I know each generation falls into thinking that we're the only culture, society and time that faces increasing hostility to the church and there's a fight to proclaim the gospel. But that's true in every generation. And that's true here in the early church. It, this is the setting in which this church is looking to thrive and grow. Surrounded by, in a religious centre, surrounded by idol worship. And so then we find this letter written, Revelation 2. I'm going to start in verses 12 and 13. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Pergamum. This is the message from one with the sharp two-edged sword. I know that you live in the city where Satan has his throne, yet how you have remained loyal to me. You refuse to deny me, even when Antipas, my faithful witness, was martyred among you there in Satan's city. So this letter is from Jesus, from the risen King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and he's writing it to his church, and he begins by commending them and encouraging them for refusing to back down in proclaiming the gospel for Jesus. When he, when he talks about this church, when he writes this letter, he actually refers to Pergamum with the phrase, Satan's city, on the city where Satan has his throne. Talk about a tough place to be a church planter. I mean, this is the city, Jesus himself refers to it as Satan's city, go and plant a church. They're in a city where the most awful sacrificial rituals take place where the most horrible religious practices you can think of are a daily occurrence. All sorts of horrible things happening. We often look at our world and have our hearts broken for some of the things we see and we think, well, that's just accepted a normal practice in our world now. How awful is that? Pergamum is like that and more. All sorts of hideous sacrifices going on all the time across the city. The church is surrounded by religion trying to make them conform. In fact, if you were a citizen of Rome, you would be required once a year 
to come to a place of emperor worship and to recognise and declare the lordship of the emperor as God. You'd have to do that. And you would have to go and get a certificate to say that you had done it. So that if anyone asked for it, you could present it. How in the midst of that do you as a Roman citizen choose to follow Christ? Facing that sort of hardship and that sort of challenge. And so when we think we have it hard in our world, and we do, we think, oh, it's so difficult in our world. It is, but the good news for us, it was so difficult in the early church as well. We have people who've gone before us, who've lived in just the same way and just the same circumstances and give us answers and show us how to live and sometimes show us not how to live. We're not the first generation to face this and we won't be the last. And we get to step forward and be Jesus of this generation, showing to the generations who come after us how they are to live in the midst of a difficult and wicked land. This is the place in which the church of Jesus Christ has come to shine as a light in the darkness. We see that continuing to proclaim the gospel of Jesus has brought persecution upon this church to the point where people have even been killed. Now, for most of us, that's, a, that's something we hear about. Most of us, it's nothing we'll ever encounter. For a handful of us, we'll have encountered, we'll know people. But for most of us, that, that's, that's persecution on a level we cannot, in the end, really understand. Jesus says in his letter, You refuse to deny me, even when Antipas, my faithful witness, was martyred among you there in Satan's city. So someone called Antipas, we don't know who he is, he was martyred for being a faithful witness, killed for his faith. Yes, that's a level of being a Christian that, that we kind of don't really quite understand. Yes, we might be mocked and yes, people might challenge us, but, but if it's cost us our lives, that's, that's not, not most of us, that's, for, that's not our daily encounter. And as I was uh, preparing for this, I was reading and, uh, uh, around this passage and I read that the word martyr and the word witness come from the same Greek words. Now, I'm painfully aware there is a true biblical scholar in the room and so I'm looking in his direction. I hope he's nodding his head and not shaking. He's nodding his head at me. Because a little bit of Greek's dangerous sometimes. It comes from the same Greek word, martyr. One who bears witness of the truth and suffers death in the course of Christ. In this sense, Stephen was the first martyr. The Greek word so rendered in all other cases is translated as witness. So you've got this word, martyr and witness, from the same Greek words. And as I was thinking about that, and then I read Acts 1 verse 8, it changed my reading of Acts 1 verse 8. It says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, etc. But I could read that. You receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my martyrs, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem. Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. See, we know for many people around our world to be a witness for Christ is to be a martyr for Christ. It'll cost you your life to proclaim him and not deny him. 
But Mark 8, verse 34 and 35, Jesus says, if, anyone, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. I know that I need to be provoked regularly that to be a follower of Jesus Christ is to willingly and joyfully lay down my life each and every day and not treat it as my own. I, I just have to be provoked by that daily. Every morning I need to be provoked when I get up. This day is not my own. This life is not my own. It belongs to Jesus. It's a gift of Jesus. It's for him and it's for his glory and it's whatever he asks of me. And I have to be reminded of that all the time because it turns out I still want to do my own thing. And I still want to go my own way. And I don't like sacrifice very much. I find sacrifice quite difficult. I find it hard work. I like the things that I like. And so when it costs something, I'm not always that keen on that. And I need to be reminded again and again and again that I'm to lay my life down and not begrudgingly, but joyfully and willingly every day that there is a cost to following Jesus, that there is a cost to proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ and shining as a light in the world. There's a cost to it. If you're following Jesus and you think there's no cost to it, you've not met Jesus. Not really. To follow Jesus will cost you everything and it'll be worth it. If you think following Jesus means, yeah, I get to come to church and I get the good stuff and I get grace and I get mercy and it's awesome. That's all true. But there's a cost that comes with it as well. That means you lay down your life and say, all of it, all of me, everything is yours. Whatever you ask of it. And if you ask everything, you get everything. And the truth is we don't really face the ultimate cost, but there are places all around this world where the cost is everything. Where the cost is to follow me here will probably mean your life. Are you in? And people joyfully and willingly say, I'm in. I've met you. How could I not be in? I've met you. How could I not give you everything? I've met you. It's all yours. And, and, and I'm just nowhere near in that. And I need Jesus to help me. I need to be provoked again and again and again that when I throw the word, I want to be a witness around to remember that it also means martyr. That it comes with a cost to follow him. I think for most of us it won't cost us our lives. But we should be provoked that to be a faithful witness of Jesus comes with a cost. What does being a faithful witness look like in our lives? What does it look like in your lives? In how you're living currently? What does a faithful witness mean to you? Are we a people prepared to pay the cost of following Jesus? And that means much more than we attend church and we attend meetings. It's not a club we come along to. This is a life that we have given over and said, I've met you. And now I've met you. I want to give you everything. Everything. Not just on a Sunday morning between the hours of 10.30 and 12-ish. But on Monday morning, when I'm at work, when I'm at school, when I'm with my neighbours, 
when I'm traveling in the car, when I'm riding on a bus, when I'm with my family, when I'm by myself, wherever I find myself. What does it look like in that place to be a faithful witness, a faithful martyr for Jesus Christ? Jesus commends this church in Pergamum for continuing to be a witness in the midst of persecution. Those who are faithful and obedient, those who choose to follow him and say, I'm in whatever the cost and I'll do what you say, they get to know the well done of Jesus Christ. They get to know his pleasure and delight for how you are worshipping him with your lives. Some of you here, maybe many of you here throughout the course of your life have made costly, faith-filled decisions to pursue Jesus. Things that have cost you things that have hurt, things that that meant you didn't pursue something you really wanted because you counted him as more worthy and more glorious. Things that have cost a future you thought you might have had because actually you wanted to be obedient to Jesus. People have lived your life and you've done things and they've cost you. And Jesus wants you to hear And to receive his well done, his good pleasure. For all those times, all those moments when you've considered him above everything else. He wants you to know his well done, his love, his joy at the cost that you've paid. And often in these times, we, we get all kind of false humility. Oh, no, I don't deserve that. No, no one says you do deserve it. But who are you not to receive his praise when he wants to give his praise to you? Who are you not to receive his love, his delight when he wants to lavish it upon you? Oh, no, no, I'm not worthy. No, no, you're not. That's not what we're talking about. But if you've been obedient and you followed him, you can be sure he wants to pour out upon you. He's well done. And some of you here today have made those choices and it's cost you. And he wants to say to you this morning, I want you to hear me. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. For some of you, that's been over decades. Maybe for some of you, it's the first time you made that choice. Well done, good and faithful servant. Now, you don't stop there. There's the next day to do. But you must know that alongside the cost, there comes the well done, good and faithful servant. There comes the Jesus who wants to lift you up and say, well done. Following me, pursue me. I know it's difficult. Receive my praise and my delight. I don't really have time for this, but I just, I just feel provoked to pray. Because some of you here really need to hear that from him. Because you've kind of paid the cost and not received the well done. And so you're disillusioned. Because cost is hard work. And so Holy Spirit, I, I, I don't know, I just pray for those here who have made choices for you. And it has cost and it has hurt. And there's pain sometimes in the offering. (laughs) And Lord, 
just that is a weight upon us. I just want to pray now that you would cut through all of it with your, yeah, but well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, that you would know the pleasure of Jesus and the delight of Jesus to the obedient heart. To the one who says, yeah, I'll follow you even though it costs. That you would know his pleasure, his deep pleasure, which lifts you up as a trophy actually and says, look at my, look at my child who said, who's followed me. Well done, good and faithful servant. Know my pleasure. And as you know that pleasure and as you receive that love and that lavish grace, let's get ready to go again. Let's get ready for the next day and the next journey, my faithful servant. And so I just pray, Lord, wherever, wherever we've, we've taken the sacrifice but not received the grace, Lord, lavish your grace upon us now that we might be ready to take the next step to follow you. Declaring you as Lord. Amen. So we have this commendation from Jesus. But then the letter switches. And it's almost as if Jesus is talking about another church. So verse 14, we continue. Remember, this is Jesus speaking. But I have a few complaints against you. You tolerate some among you whose teaching is like that of Balaam who showed Balak how to trip up the people of Israel. He taught them to sin by eating food offered to idols and committing sexual sin. In a similar way, you have some Nicolaitans among you who follow the same teaching. Repent of your sin or I will come to you suddenly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Now, having read the first part of the letter and seeing how amazingly this church is standing up under persecution, this then comes as a complete shock. There is false teaching being tolerated in the church, which is leading people to compromise in how they live, even to the point of idol worship and sexual sin. How can it be, on the one hand, you have this church with people who are dying for their faith, and yet on the other hand, you have the same church who is living a compromised lifestyle to the point where they're joining in with the hideous religious rituals and practices of the city of Pergamum. How can it be that you have this church and this church and yet they're the same church? And yet isn't this the ongoing issue for churches and Christians throughout the ages? The battle of tolerating sin and compromising rather than pursuing the holy living in which we're called by Jesus and empowered by the Spirit. Isn't isn't this all of our battles? That there's one, one part of us that wants to pursue Jesus and the other part of us that wants to play with sin. Isn't this the constant battle of the church? Isn't it the constant battle of me? Now in this uh, passage here, he talks about you've let this group in, the Nicolaitans. No one knows much about them, but apparently they follow the teaching of Balaam and Balak. And without being able to give you a long course in Old Testament history, here's the one-minute version. When the Israelites in the Old Testament uh, were waiting to enter the Promised Land and they were going around, and there came a time where they were fighting against different kings and they were defeating them king after king after king after king because God was with them. 
And so they came to a king and King Balak and he looked and he thought, man, I've got a problem here because when they come for me, God is with these people and they're going to take me out. And so I, I need to find a way to stop them. And if I fight them, I'm going to lose. So I, need to, I need something else to happen. And so he went and found this evil prophet called Balaam. And uh, he went to him and he said, look, I want you, I'm going to pay you and I want you to curse the nation of Israel. I want you to curse the nation of Israel. And Balaam was like, yeah, that sounds good to me. So he set me up with what he needed and he went and he went to curse. And I'm cutting some of the story out here, but he went to curse them. And as he went to curse them, he saw and he beheld that God was blessing them. And so as he went to curse them, he found he couldn't curse them. And actually he pronounced a blessing upon them of God. King Balak was very angry and said, what's this about? And he said, sorry, uh, let's try again. So second time, they set him up with what he needed and he went to curse them. And as he went to curse them, he saw that the one true God was blessing them. And as he went, he pronounced another blessing upon them. Balak was getting very cross at this point and he was kind of like, what's going on? He said, look, I don't know what's happening. God's blessing, let me try again. And so they set him up one more time with all the stuff that he needed and Balaam got up there and he went to curse them and again he saw that God was blessing them. And, and as he went to curse them, he pronounced another blessing upon them. By which time Balaam, uh, Balak was like, man, this is not what I'm paying you for. Um, just go away, basically. Just get away from me, get out of here. This isn't what I want you to do. But Balaam still wanted his money. And, and so he devised a plan and he said, well, you know, look, I can't curse them for you, but I tell you what. If you get your women to um, intermingle with the guys uh, and have sex with them and stuff like that, I think you'll find that they'll start to compromise. And I think you'll find that they're actually, where they've been set apart, they'll begin just to be enticed to worship the same gods that you worship and actually uh, they'll become no threat to you. And so he got his money, went on his way. And you can read all about this in Numbers chapter 22 and 24. And then we find in... Numbers 25, verses 1 to 3, this happens. When the Israelites were camped at Acacia Grove, some of the men defiled themselves by having sexual relations with the local Moabite women. These women invited them to attend sacrifices to their gods, and so the Israelites feasted with them and worshipped the gods of Moab. In this way, Israel joined in the worship of Baal of Peor, causing the Lord's anger to blaze against his people. See, the people of God set apart for the one true God, enticed to compromise, tolerating sin, doing the things that all the other people on the earth were doing, worshipping all the same gods that they were worshipping. The church in Pergamon proclaiming Jesus, even in the face of death, and yet indulging in the lifestyle of all the surrounding pagans. Compromised by sin. Remember the story of when Samuel is sent to go and find the next king of Israel. In 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, the Lord said to Samuel, Don't look at his appearance or at the height of his stature because I've rejected him, for God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord looks at the heart. Jonathan, could you um, get me a chair? Thanks. The Lord looks at the heart. What about us? What about... Cheers.
about, what about us? What about our hearts? What, what does Jesus find there? In the passage we've just read, Jesus said to the church in Pergamon, but I have a few complaint, complaints amongst you, among, uh, about you, against you. I wonder if I was to be taken by Jesus and sat down in this chair and he stood in front of me and he said to me, Andy, I have a few complaints against you. I wonder what he would say. I mean, I know some of what he would say. But, but I wonder what he might say to me. Because I'm not naive. I, I know some of the sin that I tolerate in my life. I know it very well because I tolerate it and I excuse it. And there's other sin that I don't know that I'll be quite surprised about. I wonder if he took us each hand by hand, one at a time, and sat us on the chair and spoke to us and said, I have these complaints against you. I wonder what he would say to you. I wonder what he would say to you. I wonder what sin, what compromise there is in our lives that he'd want to speak to us about, each of us. I wonder what they'd be in our church, actually, as a whole. He said to us, a church, I have a few complaints against you, or maybe in our small groups, you know, small group leaders. What is there in our groups that maybe we lack about, maybe we just let, let slide? In our ministry areas, what's at work in our ministry areas that creeps in, that we think, that oh, doesn't, doesn't matter. We should allow it to stand. Or, or in our friendship circles, you know, I mean, I have been in church a long time. And I don't always know that friendship groups of Christians and friendship groups of non-Christians are any different whatsoever in their backbiting and their complaining and their ugliness and how they talk about people. Sometimes. Maybe in our friendship circles. What's allowed, been allowed to take root in our friendship circles? That if Jesus was to sit us down as a group of friends and say, yeah, but I've got a few complaints against you. And in the end, in our own lives personally. Actually, before any of it, in our own lives personally. I mean, I've got all the time in the world for you to come to me and point out sin in my life. But if you're not prepared to uh, deal with it in your own life, you've got no business coming to me. And so often we're really quick. I can tell you what's wrong with you, but I won't see the plank in my own eye. Repentance starts here, then I can help others in the joy of repentance. It's kind of sobering to consider, honestly. I sense a hush has come over the room. It's a bit awkward. But I've been in church all my life. I know what it's like to put on the Christian performance. I know how it goes. I know the words. I know when to say them. I know the moves. I know how to appear holy and worshipful. I've been doing this literally all my life. All of it. But God looks at the heart. He's not interested in my performance. I know that I'm an amazing justifier and excuser of sin still in my life. Even though God's done some good stuff in me. He's dealt with loads of stuff in my life. But there's more to go. We so often find a reason to think that our sin doesn't really matter. It's just small. It's not hurting anybody. 
or that it's somebody else's fault. Listen to me, other people may well hurt you and wound you, but your response is entirely your responsibility. You don't have to blame anybody else. And when you get before Jesus, you'll have to give account for your response. And I'll have to give account for my response. It's amazing what we're willing to tolerate in our lives, whilst at the same time proclaiming Jesus. Really, I'm just like the church in Pergamum. And this is true just for everybody, because I know some of us are kind of just looking at the floor and not wanting to look around. Look, we're all in the same boat. No one gets to pretend here. This is all of us. Okay? It may look different, but it's all of us. And often we get here these sort of challenges, and what happens is a descending sense of guilt and shame as we think of the different sin that we kind of know we're talking about. We think, oh. But there's also news for us is that Jesus is a rescuer. Is that Jesus loves us so much that he won't leave us in this place. That he gives us a way forward. The same way that he gave the church in Pergamon a way forward. Repent. You don't have to stay with this sort of stuff. This isn't the, your life for the rest of your life now. Repent. Come and be changed. Come and know forgiveness. Come and know what it is to be washed clean again. Come and know what it is to walk free from the sin that binds you. Your life doesn't have to be like that. Come and know what holiness, all my rubbish. And it means I get to receive love and grace and forgiveness. It's awesome news. It means I don't have to carry around guilt and shame with me. Yeah, I wonder when we start talking about sin, there's that temptation that I need to hide somewhere in the darkness in case people find out what I'm like. Because sin does that to us. It, it makes us want to hide. It makes us want to run. We're called to live in a way that pursues outworking the holiness of God in how we live. And because of Jesus' work on the cross, we are able to keep on pursuing that. He has made a way where the power of sin has been broken, where guilt has been paid for, and where shame has been lifted. And we can take a hold of that every single day. We don't have to live with guilt and shame. We don't have to live just thinking, this is just how my life's going to be. I can't deal with this sin. If you're struggling with sin, guilt or shame, don't try to hide it, which always seems to be our first reaction. Rather, run to Jesus, where you can exchange it for forgiveness, holiness, acceptance and love. My, in my mind, good friend Matt Chandler says... If you struggle with being able to run hard after the Lord because you feel so unworthy, so unclean, so and so unsteady, listen up. While you were still weak at the right time, God came to your rescue and still does and still is. See, this act of salvation is an ongoing act. It's a living gospel. Every single day he comes to us. Every single day he comes to rescue, he comes to save, he comes to help. Every single day. You see, when I look at this chair and I think Jesus wants to sit me down and talk to me. There's no way I'm going to run a million miles. I don't want to sit there. I want to hide. I want to run. But if I understand that Jesus is so full of love and so full of grace and so full of mercy... 
and is utterly intent on bringing me to a place where, where I'm holy and where I'm righteous and where I get to delight in him and I'm changed and I'm shaped, then I absolutely want to sit in this chair every single day. Every single day. And I want to learn what it is to be someone of repentance every single day. And, and just to confess my sin and ask him to help me and ask him to change me and ask him to grow me and make me more like Jesus. And, and you know what? It's not, it's not a one-off thing. It's a daily event and will be until the day that I go to be with him. We're so quick to run from this chair. So afraid to come here because we've been convinced by the enemy that if we come, Jesus will reject us. And that's just a complete lie. Jesus wants us to come here so that he can lift us up. That he can take our rubbish and we can receive the forgiveness from him and joy from him that he wants to give us every single day. That we can know freedom to pursue him with our whole hearts. Not held back by sin and not held back by lies. But to pursue him. In doing so we bring him much glory. So what are we going to do? Because we're way past time, but I can't stop. Because we've got to do something. We've got, we've, got to, we've got to do something. See, if you've heard the Holy Spirit speak to you, you know, he prayed at the beginning, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit, understand what he's saying. If you've, if you've heard the Holy Spirit speak to you, if you heard him call you, if you've heard him challenge you as I've been speaking, then we've got to work out how we're going to run to Jesus this morning, well, this afternoon now. We've got to work out how we're going to respond, how we're going to repent. We've got to work out how we're going to know victory in our lives today and know the love and blessing of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords as we do that. You'll know the power of the Holy Spirit to help you transform your living. We're going to have to respond before we close. We're going to have to repent and receive. Brian, can you um, help me by setting up the cross? I don't really know what I'm doing at this point. I'm just going to be honest with you. I just know that we're all different, and so we all respond in different ways, but we all need to respond. And so there's not a one-size-fits-all response. Uh, just over there, it's fine. Thanks. Um, and bands, where are the bands? Could I have you back? Thanks very much. And so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna make this complicated. Uh, I'm gonna ask the band to play a song, but if you know you need to repent, I mean you can choose to do it how you want. There are some options. Uh, there's a cross over there and maybe it might be appropriate just for you because you think I just need this visually to do it I need to come and kneel at the cross I need to come kneel at the cross I need to, or stand at the cross or something and just I just need to do that maybe you might just want to kneel where you are maybe you're not physically able of that maybe that's fine, just sit where you are in the end, it's not about the outside show it's about the heart because I've done this bit of repentance as well I put the show on it's not about that, it's about I just need to get this. I just need to get this right with you. Maybe you need to stand and worship. You have the choice is yours. I'm going to ask the band just to play this song.
Uh, and you can repent and receive as you will during it, and then we will close.